Hey everybody and welcome to episode 95 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host at Fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. Now, this is going to be, I think, a very special episode of Metallicast. Not to be confused with like the very special episodes that you would see on like a sitcom. Um, but, uh, you know, nobody dies or gets uh, pregnant in this episode. Not yet, anyways. Um, but... Uh, we'll see what happens over the next god knows how many hours uh but i'm very excited about this episode um this i think is going to be one that a lot of people will be able to relate to in some capacity because really it's going to be about the effect music and metallica has had on us Uh, and when i say us i am including a guest uh she is I'm going to call her a uh, long time, first time. <laughs> you know how in radio people say long time listener, first time caller. Well, she's it, it, it's sort of like that in many ways. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself, though. Oh, introduce myself. Hi, I'm Kristen S. He. Um, you may or may not know that I've been transitioning over the last what 10 months sort of like um doing it quasi publicly um occasionally posting my you know coy little selfies (laughs) where i (laughs) suspiciously look you know a bit younger and you know fresher and everything um and happier but no i came out like officially on my birthday um exactly two weeks ago actually and it has been so lovely um, to hear from everyone, including yourself, Brandon. Um, no, it's just been a really good time. I am very happy for you. The last time you were on the show, uh, we were talking about Portals, the great EP from Kirk Hammett. Well, I think yes. we talked about Portals a little bit. That was the goal of the episode. I'm not sure we quite uh, accomplished that goal. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah. but it was interesting. It was an interesting time because I knew – uh, what you were in the middle of going through, uh, because you had reached out to me. Hmm. Um, but obviously, where you were not out publicly yet. Um, hmm. and I did not know, uh, you know, what the new name was going to be and everything. And uh, so hey. it was, uh, uh, it, it it was interesting to see you kind of go through the process. And I was very happy for you when you came out exactly two weeks ago. Yeah, funny that it is a, a lot has happened in the last two weeks, but in a really good way. Yeah, awesome. Hmm. And you sort of reached out to me about this episode to kind of, um, I guess, explain how music sort of guided you down this road or helped guide you down this road, and uh, in certain ways. And you know, I kind of said at the top of the episode that you know music has had an effect on me on you on i think Mm. anybody listening to this podcast and most likely if you're listening to metallica podcast you're more than a casual metallica fan so i i'm willing to bet the the music metallica has had some effect on you whether big or small or somewhere in between um and i'm not really sure You, you you've hinted but i'm not really sure exactly what uh the story is and in what ways it's affected you. So I'm, I'm very excited to hear your story uh, uh, about your journey here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's sort of about like tying up some loose ends in a way for me, slash coming full circle with the podcast, because obviously we met um, talking about the San Anger piece that I wrote for Red Bull um, four years ago. Yeah, a bit of four years ago. Um, and most recently, I mean, about this time last year, we were talking about Lulu. And I think we mentioned Lulu briefly in the last episode yeah. and how that sort of had an impact on me as well. So it's sort of just like tying all these things together um, because, I mean, you've been so kind as to change my name in like the old episode titles and stuff. Um, the historical record cannot be changed further. Unfortunately, there's no like AI vocal thing that's going to like live my voice, but that's fine. You know, it happened. One you know, day, it's cool. one day. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe I like go back and re-record all the old episodes or something. If, if but, like only my half. Listen, if anybody <laughs> wants to go back and script out all those episodes for us, that would be yeah. a fun live stream, actually. That if would we, be if we had the exact script to follow. And I don't know if you watched the rehearsal, like the Nathan Fielder show. Oh, I, I've on seen HBO. the I well, I was obsessed with Nathan for you. Oh, it's so, so good. Yeah. And so I've watched the first episode of the rehearsal and mm. I am and I'm hooked. Because it it is just like so uncomfortable but in the most hilarious way possible the show only gets like nuttier and nuttier um with each episode so i you have a lot to look forward to um some somehow that does relate to all of this because i guess it's about it's sort of a show about like identity and human connection and like what's real and what's not and the answer is right. everything's real and everything's fake i guess <laughs> um <clears throat> But yeah, it was th this was sort of my idea to like tie together not only like what I how I've talked about myself and how you've talked about yourself in relation to Metallica, but also some of the ideas like bubbling under my Senanga piece and um, our Lulu talk because there is sort of a thread connecting them all. Right. But um, I guess like if we were to start at the start. Um, I, I've planned this out like a tiny bit, but also like barely. So it would not be like, uh, an yeah. episode with us talking if it was two plans. So yeah, I, mean, I give us um, about five minutes until we start talking about Dave Mustaine. Negative. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did finish his book, and he was just on the Joe Rogan podcast. I saw. Uh, I had really. I saw an intro. I have not listened yet. But I saw an, uh, I saw a, a wow. blabbermouth headline pop up on my Twitter feed about um, you know he was once again being questioned and wow. talking about Metallica and his exit from the band and stuff. So I'm I'm gonna listen to that, but like shake my fist every like <laughs> ten minutes of an answer, <laughs> just to, like sig signify where I stand politically, <laughs> <laughs> but also out of you know frustration and a bit of love for yes. Dave. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to, to take it back to where it starts, I guess I discovered, yeah, I discovered Metallica when I was 13 or 14 at a private Christian all boys school, feeling very weird, right? And not really knowing what that was. I guess like I'd always grown up feeling quite different from people as soon as I emerged into like school and social situations, but like that 
it things got weird in high school in retrospect for sure like i thought i was just like awkward in like a normal teenage boy <laughs> way it turns out there were many more layers to it um but definitely like music was something that had been core to me before i had um played classical piano for like uh, since i was like five or something to 12 and i had gotten bored of it like the practice regimen and i didn't like the music as much so it was like i'm looking for something and that turned out to be like the rock music of the time i guess um I think I've admitted this before in the podcast, but my the second album I ever bought with my own money was Uh-oh. Nickelback Silver Side Up. <laughs> Wait, which one what 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 hits do we know off that particular one? Do you remember? I think How You Remind Me was the only hit. Right. This is how you remind me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh my god. <laughs> I just slid a little bit into Mustaine there. Symphony of, of Nickelback. Wow, this is how you remind me. But anyways, That's incredible. I, 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 I'll be requesting a full version of that. <laughs> um, Silver Side Up, though, that is an yes. album that is very influenced by the Black Album in both songwriting and production. Yeah, um, big Metallica fans, welcome on the podcast definitely. anytime. Yeah. Um, and so that was definitely my pipeline into like heavier music. So I got into Nirvana and I heard of this band called Metallica who had a couple of songs. One of them was called Enter Sandman. <laughs> um, I remember like burning it to a CD with like all these super random uh, songs. It wasn't even a mixtape. It was just like, here's Enter Sandman and like Lateralis by Tool and then <laughs> Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> Having it on my Discman as I would like... Uh, take public transport home from school. All right, wait. I got to ask you a personal question. What yeah, was the ESP? What was the ESP on that disman? Because you had to have that electric shock protection <laughs> so that bad boy did not skip. It was pretty good, actually. Yeah. You, yeah. Remember I don't know how they were fun. like. Remember how they were numbered? I feel like it was like. Huh. Like yeah, it was like five ESP. And then it's like, oh, you got to get the ten ESP. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say that it was um, it was post Napster. I was not old enough to be illegally downloading from Napster, but right. I was old enough to be downloading from LimeWire or something. So, oh, yeah, yes. good old LimeWire. Yeah, I but definitely, anyway, yes. I definitely in college never uh, accidentally downloaded. Uh, porn from LimeWire when I thought I was downloading uh, music videos uh, from some of my favorite bands. Oh, yeah. That never <laughs> happened. <laughs> and I'm still, like, obsessive about uh, tagging my iTunes MP3s and stuff to this day because of all the mislabeled songs. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, yeah, I was listening to a lot of heavy music at the time, hard rock, metal. Um, and I guess forming a sort of identity around that, like that really became my escape um, through most of high school. Certainly like the first four years or something. Um, yeah, we go to high school for six years in Australia. So, it's so what like, is it, seven through 12th grade? Yeah, seven through 12th, yeah. Or you just do like yeah. 
tenth grade three times. <laughs> it gets it gets more advanced, I guess. I don't know. Hey, you're you're the educator here. Well, in America, it's always a little bit different, I guess. Like, yeah, elementary school here is usually K through five, but I've but sometimes fifth oh. grade is middle school, so sometimes I'm. Middle huh? school will be five okay. through eight. Sometimes it'll be six through eight. I've seen middle schools that are seven and eight. And then high school is always nine through 12, I would say. Okay. But those those yeah. middle grades yeah. sometimes get lumped into uh, different schools, depending sure. on the state, district, whatever. But Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So if you I do guess, seven yeah. years of high school in America, you're doing it wrong. Is no, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, we we do six. We six, do six is six. Yeah. Well, you're still yeah. doing it wrong in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would argue with that, but yeah, I was also I was also doing it wrong. Because um, yeah, p- picture this, right? I am this very like bright, curious, happy child, and I get to high school, which is a private school, and it's very like. It's it's so strict and so much about like rules and like traditions and stuff because it's inherited from like the British private school model and I'm gonna veer it away from like my my personal therapy talk very soon <laughs> but um, imagine this like very strict environment um, where like my only escape is like the internet and web forums and video games and right. especially metal because metal was like the one thing that I had that no one else had at least. Not that I knew until, you know, probably like yeah, ten or something. Like I made some like uh, metal friends who were into even weirder shit than me <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just remember like Metallica being weirdly like a, a very formative impact on how I listen to music, how I write music, even like their song structures on the first four albums in particular are so like. So cool. They're like, you know, Diamond Head, a bit of classical music, so much like dynamic contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I also remember like watching The Unnamed Feeling on MTV and being like, whoa, this is something. And um, this sort of reminds me of like, I have a friend who recently came out as well, and she's writing a piece on how uh, pro wrestling made her cis like a cis male teenager and then made her trans in her like mid thirties, just because like in the attitude era of like 1999 and everything, wrestling was like so popular and it was so masculine. It was like something that her like bullies liked and suck then it. She, yeah. <laughs> and then she would watch it and be like, Oh, I, I like this too. Maybe I, I mean, it, it was an influence in some way on her, even if she right. wasn't like Degeneration X in <laughs> any way. Um, and like in her mid thirties, um, she started watching wrestling again and it was like, oh, this is all performance. This is all kayfabe. This is all like, mm-hmm. you know, b- big muscly men in tights, but like, that's not who they really are as people. You know, they're like cranking up the performance and- right. It's kind of camp and it's kind of cool at the same time. You can be whoever you want, you know? Um, But yeah, uh, I think the point I'm trying to make is that like Metallica, I I question if I ever related to them in like a really masculine way. I feel like I didn't. 
I feel like I listened to metal and just like felt empowered by it, but like never in like this kind of the kind of really deep down way I feel with like female pop stars and stuff, if that makes sense. It's not that I like the music any less because Metallica pretty much my favorite band, but like, I I just wonder like, you know, it's like, I never wanted to be James Hetfield, if that makes sense. He was someone that I looked up to and who I thought was like a poet and a great frontman and everything. But like, at some point I was like, oh, I want to be Taylor Swift and like <laughs> Madonna and all that stuff. So, right. but still listen to metal from that perspective, if that makes right. sense. Like that's gotten more articulated the older I get. Right. So I'm just, I'm like curious how it was for you as like a, cause you, you got into them like when you were still in elementary, right? Yeah. My exposure to them was at elementary school. Um, hmm. I've told this story before, but I'll yeah. kind of give the abbreviated version. Um, I have, I mean, just to put into context too, I'm the youngest of three boys. Um, and when I was, uh, up through second grade, my family lived in Massachusetts and our next door neighbors, um, also had, uh, three children, um, all of them somewhat around our age. So I remember between my older brothers watching MTV and my next door neighbors, like we would be, we would be like on the swing set listening to cassettes and, uh, (laughs) the cassettes were always what was ever popular at the time that like the older kids were playing so sometimes Mm. you know it it would be uh paul abdul sometimes it'd be michael jackson sometimes it'd be nirvana and Mm. sometimes it was metallica the black album and even at that young age i had like a response to it like i was like oh this is like cool um and a little intimidating and um it felt like you know it my it was something that I think my brothers liked, but did not latch onto the same way they mm. were latching onto other music. So I kind of felt like, sure. oh, I can kind of make it like my own in a way. Um, and that just sort of followed me. I mean, it was not till middle school. I, I remember Load came out when I was in sixth grade and I, I had just gotten in a CD player. I got, load as like my first cd and it wasn't until after that that i realized oh they have other albums and i kind of Mm. went back and you know um discovered you know the the first four records and then from that point forward you know i was i was hooked i I had the posters i had the t-shirts i had um you know, I, I bought every album that came after Load on the day of release. You know, when Reload came out in seventh grade, I was there day one and so on and so forth. Uh, but it was interesting for me to hear your story because it mm. it's very similar to my story in a lot of ways because I feel like music and Metallica helped gave me an identity in a way. Um, totally. Yeah. I remember, you know, I when I look back... I, I can see like in fifth and sixth grade, like especially trying to like kind of find where I fit in like the in the uh in the school social circles, you know. I was like, I'm not mm. I'm not a jock. Um I'm not uh overly preppy or anything like that. I, I was a good student, but I didn't want to be like um, you know, uh 
considered like you know brainy and nerdy and i just wanted to like keep quiet and quietly get good grades and kind of keep that part mm. of, like under the radar and um yeah it wasn't your whole personality yeah and i, I and i yeah. you know and i and i didn't like um like i liked a lot of different things but nothing that like i could really latch on to like i liked sports but i was never like mm. the biggest sports guy i liked to read but i was never like the biggest reader and i liked mm. you know comic books and wrestling and this and that but like i didn't have that one overarching passion and when i was in middle school music became that um i had taken piano lessons too starting in third grade and it was something that kind of by middle school i was over but i kept with mm. it because i sort of that's when as i was like thinking about quitting music sort of began to take over my life um and metallica was also a gateway to me they were a gateway to other metal bands like i i would have mm. never gone into Megadeth, or um you know i i, I would never gone into pantera I would have never gotten into um i'm not sure i would have ever gone into like sabbath and ozzy and all those classic metal bands that i got into after metallica and then by the time i was in high school you know i was in a band i had friends with the same interests it gave me a social circle it gave me friends it gave me an identity and totally. it gave me sort of a goal in life because I knew I wanted to do something in music. Um, you know, as I was going through high school and thinking about what the next step of my life was going to be. And all that started really with Metallica and totally, um, you know, and I was like, I took it to the extreme where I wore a Metallica t-shirt every single day. Hell yeah. If, if people, <laughs> That fucking if, rocks. <laughs> if people did not know me, they knew me as the Metallica kid. Some kid, some people just called me Metallica. They'd be like, "Hey, Metallica, man. <laughs> hey, what's up, Metallica?" Like, what a dream. That was, <laughs> that was like me in high school, and wow. um, it, so yeah, it helped. S similar to you, even though we were in on you know different paths in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm it's very similar where it, it gave me an identity and kind of helped set where I was going to be. And, you know, when you are a teenager and you are awkward and you're hmm. going through all these things and feelings and hormones and this and that music is what, um, got me through it all. And hmm. when I look back in retrospect, I think some of those feelings might have been like maybe ran deeper than I realized at the time. Like I think like anxiety hmm. and totally, totally. I think I had that far worse. And now that I'm an adult, I can look back and be like, Oh, that runs in my family. And hmm. you know, I, I probably could have or should have, you know, seats therapy at certain times. Yeah. But I, did, I mean, we didn't I, have I the just, vocabulary for it yeah, at the time. And, yeah. But like music, was that for me it was therapy for me i, I could hmm. you know it, it it sounds cliche but i could go in my bedroom close the door play music and escape um, totally. i could you know it, i would i i'm not saying this in a way that i had a bad home life because i had a very good home life but hmm. i would after high when i was in high school 
I would avoid going home. I would just go over to my friend's house, play music, listen to music. I, mm. We would spend nights in high school just driving around listening to music. And, you know, I, mm. I, I remember getting into death metal and all that stuff because it was like, you know, all your friends are trying to expose you to all these different bands. Hey, check this guy out, check this person out, check this band out, whatever. And, but it just became my whole life for that period, you know? Mm. And, uh, it, and, would not have started with Metallica. Totally. I think that it's like, it's so important to your emotional development as like you're going, transitioning from, you know, being a child to an adult to have something that's like a safe space to confront these negative emotions that always are going to arise, I guess. But like, to me, metal was that and is that still it's something where you can look at all these feelings whether they're like personal like internal fears or the fears of like nuclear war or whatever and Mm -hmm. you can just put an album and lose yourself in it and not only feel better that like other people have had these experiences or like um can articulate them but also like the fact that they can make great art out of it is something that i think is really moving you know because like it's music and artists for everyone it's not just for like people with the money to do it or whatever like everyone engages with it in some way whether it's listening or like writing about it or being a fan or writing music or whatever you know and i feel fortunate as a fan because i feel like metallica um has sort of progressed a lot of ways that and in a lot of the same ways I have in terms mm. of, um, you know, when you look at Metallica today, I would say they're a lot more vulnerable, a lot more, yeah. um, you know, willing to speak of mental health and, and, and family life. And, you know, it, I just feel like, you know, what, what, when I was a kid and I watched, uh, binge and purge it was very exciting for me to have mm. metallic to have james hetfield tell uh you know all the chicks to whip their tits out and you know <laughs> yeah. and i thought it was the most badass thing and i'm watching seattle 89 <laughs> and they're just like you know furiously pissed off but yeah. now as a 37 year old uh husband father um I like the fact that I can put on most like modern Metallica performances and show mm. my, you know, my almost three year old and, and, mm. and without the risk of it being like raunchy or vulgar or it, it, at most, I'm going to get like a cool, funny dad joke, you know? And uh, yeah. so I, I just think it, I know it sounds like maybe to some, like it's uh, perhaps some are thinking like, Oh, they've, softened or it's got watered down but i don't view that i feel like they've just have grown up and evolved and you know now they're they're not you know in their 20s anymore they're in their 50s like nearly 60 yeah and they're you know fathers and yada yada so i i feel fortunate that they've i feel like they have sort of grown up uh i feel like i've kind of grown up alongside them even though they're older than i am um, mm. b- because when I look at other bands from 
that era or previous eras, I don't necessarily feel the same way. Totally. Yeah, even if they're still making good music, they don't necessarily represent themselves in that more like open and vulnerable way, I guess. Yeah. Like you can't like Kerry King's not here talking about his like family life, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. Like I listen, I yeah, I'll, I will rock out the Slayer once in a yeah. while, and when mm. when Slayer Part Two comes out with Gary King on guitar, I will definitely check it out. But, I'm curious, yeah. but I am, you know, I'm not. I don't feel like I relate to the man um, mm. beyond checking out his record, you know, which is okay. Yeah. I don't need to. Yeah, totally. But it it helps, I think, uh, as a, a diehard fan that I'm able to with uh, Metallica. I feel like I just connect yeah. on a deeper level, I guess. Yeah, I think there's that sense that metal can be whatever you want it to be, but also as like a human being, you can't hold on to that like adolescent angst forever. Right. You know? Like you can keep you can listen to your favorite records as much as you want and wear them out, but like as a person you still have to grow up to a degree. And that's not like a bad thing. Yeah. You know? Um there are a lot of things in the world that are worth resenting, I guess, but um, that can't be like your only attitude, I guess. Right. I mean, I guess, you know, relate to that as a 37 year old adult, I'm no longer like feel the need to rage against uh, my parents for telling me no or whatever, yeah. or, or, <laughs> yeah. or getting mad at a teacher or whatever yeah. the situation was, you know, Um mm. But now I, I, I have, you know, I'm busier. I have more stress. And so I, it, music helps me in that way. You know, it, 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 it rather than raging uh, with it, I feel like it, I can, it, it suits me more now. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. It's not as dramatic as it used to be, I guess. Right. Um, I'm going to, to read a little bit from, my St. Anger piece in Red Bull. Um, I've like condensed a bunch of things together. So maybe I'll read the first half and then the second half. Um, and just for but, the listeners, yeah. if there's anybody listening who actually has not read this article, it, I mean, if you're a longtime listener, you really should have by now. But I will <laughs> once again uh, put a link in the episode description. So if you've not read it for yourself, check it out. Because this is this is as Kristen said at the start. This is what connected us in the beginning. Um, I yeah. I randomly stumbled upon this article. I read it. I immediately uh, like searched her on Twitter, DM'd her, and said, "Hey, will you come on my podcast?" And for some reason, she said yes, not knowing that <laughs> the next like four years of her life would be. Uh, heavily <laughs> there's no escape <laughs> she'd be heavily uh guesting on metallicast um almost on a monthly basis for a while <laughs> yeah it's like metall i put the cast in metallicast i'm not only you know like a recurring <laughs> cast member but it's also like i've broken my leg and the cast is stuck there and you can't get it off <laughs> that's wordplay for you um but no I i've made two wonderful close friends from that article being yourself, Brandon, and also Chris Kielik, which, hey, if you're listening in, I, I was trying to remember what state he lives in. Um, 
I don't know my American states. New York. What the fuck? Uh, he's original. He's originally Delaware, from, I think. He's a right. He's originally from Buffalo. Yes, so I confuse. I confuse that where where he's at now. Yes, I think he's in Delaware. Uh, I, I, hope, I don't know. I, I, I hope he know. is listening, so he can tell us. And if he's not listening, let me tell you what I really think about him. All right, so yeah. he is a real piece of work. He's a real piece of work. That Chris Keelick. Anyways. <laughs> So he's the world's biggest like butt rock fan, and we love him for it. He is. He when you said Nickelback, he got excited. If he's listening, totally. <laughs> anyway, love you, Chris. Um, so yeah, what what drew me to Saint Anger? That is the question. Um, a lot of things. Firstly, it was the period in which I first discovered Metallica, but also it was the fact that like. Every time I listened to it through the 2010s, my experience with it just got like a little bit deeper and darker. And I got more entranced by the material so much that when the like 15th anniversary rolled around in 2018, I was like, yeah, I want to write something about this and not just like anything, but I want to try and write the definitive piece about St. Anger, which I, I guess I've sort of done at least to my standards because Every time I re- re- reread the piece, like I don't really have much to add. So, can I like the only this? things I would add are about Lulu, and that's not even within the piece. So, can I ask you this? I'm sure you, yeah. you have said it at some point. Hmm. But what was your the? Do you remember the first time you listened to Saint Anger? What your reaction was? Was it immediate? Like this feels special, or was there a part of you that was like, "What the hell is going on here"? I think I was 14 and I'm pretty sure I just bought the album like with the DVD editions, like the cool slip case. And um, I think that at that point, um, my perceptions of metal and like what people consider to be like good and bad had not really like developed that much. So I was just like, this is a very noisy, dissonant album, but I had no sense of the critical discourse around it or why people disliked it so um i was just like this is really long there's some cool stuff i'll give it 3.5 and it wasn't my favorite for sure Mm. um but yeah by the time i'd written the piece i was like oh this is five stars for sure no question um everyone else is wrong (laughs) and i'm gonna prove it so i'll read a little bit of this that i've condensed so um A love of metal almost always starts with our adolescent loss of innocence, with the realization that not everything is right in the world. Dissonance sounds wrong, but sometimes it's the only sound that rings true. You have to learn to love it. Frantic opens the album with a a series of questions. Like Zen Cohen's, they don't necessarily have answers or even emotional resolutions. Do I have the strength to know how I'll go? Can I find it inside to deal with what I shouldn't know? Between the furious verses lies a calm uneasy chorus keep searching this search goes on in the some kind of monster documentary kirk hammett references samsara a complex concept that in part refers to the buddhist cycle of suffering and reincarnation his backing vocals whisper in the background birth is pain life is pain death is pain it's all the same so for me that's like saying emerged into the world as like the Metallica's big return to metal, right? 
but to me like that's where the album really starts is um at that point in their lives when they were in the early 30s i think um that's crazy to think about actually that they're only like you know like barely mid-20s when they did the black album (laughs) um and that was only like a bit uh like 12 years after or something but um clearly like they'd reached the point where they'd been metallica for however long 20 plus years and they had been going on like adrenaline and the rock star lifestyle for so long but like when jason left and they had to confront all the reasons behind that it sort of like came crashing to a halt so i think that really comes through in the music like the sense of searching for an not only an identity but like am i actually like a complete human being you know am i like functional can i exist within society or am i like too fucked up to live but don't want to die kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. um and i definitely felt that like i wasn't you know depressed when i wrote the article that's for sure i was like very motivated um but i've always related to music that explores that notion whether it's like metallica or lulu or like lingua ignota or lana del rey or something like music that's about like taking your identity and like blowing it up Mm -hmm. in a way um some part of my subconscious brain was sort of poking through there and looking for the answer that frantic was searching for but not really giving i guess (laughs) um so I will I will not read the next two thousand words, but I will read the conclusion of that section, which is um So can one truly change? St. Anger's final track, All With My Hands, answers frantic with a resounding no. To Metallica, St. Anger is a series of masks. First, Headfield takes off his rock star facade, then strips away every facet of his identity. Guitarist, songwriter, singer, husband, father until he sees his true reflection in the mirror, a grinning skull. Metallica's entire then two-decade career had built up to All Within My Hands. It wasn't uh, a song like The Unforgiven, you know, a tale of a boy born into oppressive masculinity. It wasn't Hero of the Day or Mama Said, which were true stories of uh, redemption. No, it was the horror of lucidity, of knowing yourself. And so for me, St. Anger is just one of those few albums that both lyrically but also in the way it's constructed so the sound and the the circular riffs and the length it's almost designed to punish you and push you into this like state of submission um it's what i write here i wrote both saint anger and lulu are about transformation through a kind of self-inflicted punishment if that makes sense Mm -hmm. because the album does not have a happy ending um on record you know it devolves into just noise and james screaming kill 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 um but i like to think that after listening to it you reach this place of like almost zen it's like things can't get any worse (laughs) so i've got to get better you know (laughs) right yeah it's that's some heavy stuff um it's bringing me back a little bit to, I remember bringing St. Anger home 
and listening to it for the first time. And I think the only song I had heard was the track St. Anger on the radio. And I remember the album ending and being like exhausted and confused. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because how old were you at the time? I was uh, a senior in high school. I was just about to graduate. Um, And I was... I just remember thinking like this, the whole package felt different. Like even Hmm. looking through like the CD booklet, the, the artwork, the, the, when you're reading through the lyrics, the lyrics, the, the, obviously how the music sounds, it all felt like Metallica, but all felt different. Hmm. And it was a very challenging listen um and i remember listening to it and there were some songs that were instant with me but there were other tracks where i'm like i'm not sure about this song i i really feel like that's that's the only time i've heard a metallica album where not that i you know badly in anger with every song but um, on every album but that's the only metallica album i've heard to this day where afterwards I'm like, I questioned, I'm like, <laughs> how do I feel about this? <laughs> yeah. I think it's usually by the time people reach Invisible Kid that they're like, uh, what's up with this? You know? <laughs> and for me, it was like, it was like that in reverse because once I had learned to love Invisible Kid, I was like, oh, okay, that's how this album is a masterpiece. I remember going i remember invincible kid was one of the first songs i revisited because i was like oh what is happening vocally in that bridge like what is what is going on here um yeah but um yeah it's just such a fascinating record and now i mean Mm -hmm. i've listened to it so many times now that sometimes i forget like my first experience with the record totally i just you know, I'm so familiar with it now. And the, yeah. the songs to me uh, all these years later feel like Metallica songs. Like I feel like their yeah. catalog would be empty with those, without those tracks, you know? And, hmm. um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm putting myself back in those, in those <laughs> spots. And I remember having to go to high school and defend that album. People are like, hell oh. yeah. Cause it, it, I, I, not to go too much down uh, the St. Anger rabbit hole again, but um, and maybe I've said this before, but I remember there was it, it, it was one of the first albums I remember um, coming out where I feel like the internet affected the the tone of how how mm. people thought about that record. Hundred percent, yeah. Um, because when people were first hearing the tracks everybody was like oh my god metallica's back it's fast it's heavy it's this it's that and then as soon as a couple rumbling started people were like oh yeah that album sucks the snare and there's no solos and this and i'm like but you liked the album last week now you yeah now you now you don't i mean not that you're mm. not entitled to change your mind but it's a totally little, a little weird to make such a drastic <laughs> 
change in like one week's time, you know? Um, mm. but, but yeah, I have to say, um, you know, the album just, it, it gets better for me with age and it uh, really does. Yeah. Uh, and I, I always try to explain to people if you take it as its own thing and you take the time to like, look into what was going on with the band at that time, mm. I, I think you get a new appreciation for it. Totally. Um, I was thinking how like, it's not just the expression of like these 30 somethings and their rage, but also like it does have a lot to do with childhood and adolescence as well. Cause we all know what James went through in his childhood yeah. and um, to a degree, like his adolescence as well. He always seems like the kid who was very angry, but like never really had a voice, I guess, or didn't learn how to speak up and express that anger. Um, to me, San Anger is like, it's about acknowledging that fear on a song like Invisible Kid, yeah. um, which is almost, it's almost corn-like in its themes mm -hmm. about like, I, I guess you would say childhood abuse, but like wanting to, you know, shrink and like not be seen by the world. Mm. Um, but it's also him as a man, like reclaiming his sense of anger in the title track. Um, you know, he wants his anger to be healthy um which i think is a really powerful notion um definitely something that has helped well, me a lot i think uh, a couple things but i think you know uh one of the criticisms against the album that i remember hearing when it came out was that was like you know lyrically was like his rehab record which i mean of yeah which i mean of course it was i don't know why that's yeah. a criticism as a negative thing but i would phrase it differently it's his therapy record Totally. You know, like it's him confront, like you were saying, confronting um, his addiction, his feelings from childhood, his feelings as an adult, his feelings as a man. And it's, and I think, you know, there were moments um, in the Metallic catalog where he, Heffield would show vulnerability, um, whether it was, you know, a more sensitive side of Nothing Else Matters or, you know, the song Bleeding Me explores his time in therapy during that, mm. you know, during the recording of that album or, you know, what have you. But there's nothing as vulnerable and raw as that St. Anger record and in both the lyrics and vocal delivery. And when you I, it's funny, St. I had Metallica on shuffle like a couple of weeks ago and the track St. Anger came on and I was thinking how, you know, everybody in 2022 talks about mental health and you know being in in you know metallica just got like went like somewhat viral and got praised when hatfield had that moment on stage kind of we kind of you know he broke down and the band embraced him and gave him a group hug to like mm. support him and but in 2003 before it was the cool thing to be talking about here he is telling people he he wants his anger to be healthy like I feel like mm. that's like ahead of its time in a lot of ways, and totally in, like ex talking about uh, openly about mental health and wanting to uh, not not um, not get rid of the anger, but understand the anger in a healthy way to be like a healthy functioning adult. And when and 
I just kind of came to that realization recently. I was like, oh, wow. That's yeah. like pretty amazing, especially in context of like a metal song. When you look at, you know, kind of the cliches and stereotypes around metal music, you know? Yeah. I think that at the time people like they sort of understood what that meant for Metallica, um, at least after watching some kind of monster. Um the framework was like, oh, millionaire rock stars like um, go through rehab and do all these like ridiculous things because they're like children in a way. But like now we sort of like really understand what that means, which is that like, of course, you know, having all this privilege and like permissiveness in your life is going to affect your emotional development, even as an adult. But like, it's like, of course we have ways to of relating to these things as well as like non-celebrities, you know? Right. Um, it's a, just saying is just a very strange way to like voice that anger. It's a very odd shape of an album, but it's still human, you know? Um, I was also thinking like 2003, you know, that's the time where like Tony Soprano is, on TV, I'm talking about him as if he's a real person. <laughs> okay. The fictional character of Tony Soprano is going to therapy right. in the TV show, The Sopranos, um, kind of reluctantly Which at first. Which is a real-life documentary about the Soprano About Italians. Family. And, in America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he go, you know, he's going at first reluctantly, and then he sort of takes to it... Um, and learns to express himself a bit more. Although the, the irony of that show is that, like, he doesn't actually learn anything. He just uses it to become a worse person. <laughs> um, but I think it, it's a good, like, metaphor for how society was, like, viewing mental health. Because it's like, if the irony is, you know, even, like, this mobster um, had this normal home life, semi-normal home life that, like, he needed to, like, come to terms with. and Right he had to acknowledge the shit inside him, which of course he did, you know? Right. Um, anyway, (laughs) (laughs) um, speaking of fictional characters, um, Lulu is a fictional character in the play Lulu. Yes. Um, as adapted by Lou Reed featuring, well, and Metallica. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I'll give you a little bit of like personal insight to where I was, when we recorded that episode on that, um, I'd be curious to go back and listen to it. Cause I must, I must've been in like a, such a different headspace to what I am now. Like I can't even like conjure up how it would have felt at the time, but, um, obviously COVID March, 2020 really hit. And, um, being in Melbourne, Australia, we got locked down quite a lot. I think just because Australia being like an Island, it was the mentality was very much like we can uh, stave it off and shut it out, close the borders and um, get to like zero cases and try to stay safe before like a vaccine is available everywhere, which took, you know, a year and a half due to like government fuckery as well, like federal government fuckery. But um, on on a state level in Victoria, it was all right. But um, it was tough as well. Like we got to zero COVID cases, which was a miracle for a while because there were a few months where we could like go out and socialize and basically not have any fear of this stuff. But um, there was about as much time where, yeah, we were pretty much confined to our homes and legally could only like go out and 
shop and exercise for like an hour a day or something, which really sucked. Um, no question. Like, um, but yeah, anyway, um, all this time isolating just left me a lot of time to think and, um, you know, sort of confront these feelings that I'd had for a long time. It was that, and also like not really having like social reinforcement day to day, like sort of removed, like how people perceive me, you know, because like obviously so much of our identity is like caught up in how other people see us, whether it's friends, family, partners or whoever. But like for me, when that was removed, it just like, I just felt like a, a consciousness floating nowhere. I just like, didn't know who I was. Um, podcasting helped keep me sane for sure for a bit. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but it definitely did not stave off the breakdown that was coming. That's for sure. But, um, so yeah, I'd, I'd been thinking about a lot of stuff like gender stuff, trans stuff pretty openly for years. And, um, at the start of 2021, I knew that I was on a quest to like work out what the fuck was up with me. Um, but I didn't know what that was. Um, so I think it was like June or July that we somehow, no, we had, we already wanted to, we, we knew that we wanted to talk about Lulu, but we were like, oh, it's finally time to do this. All right. It's time, we, finally time to. We teased it for long enough. <laughs> yeah. We were like, no fear. We're just going to do it. And um, I think I listened to it because Lulu was an album I'd listened to like every couple years. Maybe I'd heard it like three times before then. I was like, oh, it's an interesting experiment. It's like oil and water, you know, but mm-hmm. it's interesting. And then um, probably the two times I listened to it in preparation for our episode, I was like, this is really getting at something, right? Kind of in the same way that San Anger did. It's like even more dissonant in some ways, but like lyrically, it's a lot more articulate. Mm -hmm. Like there's really something going on here. And um, it, I learned a lot about it, like during research about Lou Reed's background, but also like talking with you in real time during the episode and dissecting the lyrics and what it really meant, which obviously is a lot of things, right? It doesn't mean any, it doesn't mean just one thing. Right. Because there's the original play that it was based on by a German playwright, Frank Wittekind. Um, But there's also like the layer of meaning that Lou Reed puts onto it in his interpretation, which is not, it's not the full story, really. It's like, he's mostly writing from the perspective of Lulu, who is a sex worker who has these really like brutal sadomasochistic relationships with her um male patrons i guess um so the majority of the songs are about her like um like inviting this kind of punishment as a form of transcendence because she hates herself so much that she wants to like escape her body and her persona right. um although i don't i don't know what i am the table has to do with that um <laughs> well steward yeah. herwood goes yeah. into that in our episode so he he uh, confronted the criticism head on. Yeah. So go listen. I think, <laughs> I think it's something to do with like a biblical framing of of the album or something. I'm not, I don't entirely remember. 
I honestly forget off the top of my head, but it is something along yeah. those lines. And it, yeah. when he explained it, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's a, yeah. that's a whether you're a fan of Lulu or not, um, shameless plug. I think both episodes with oh, yeah. you and with Stuart Horwood really um, are fascinating listens about, uh, about an album that I think, if nothing else, you can agree is interesting, but continue. <laughs> yes, it is fascinating. Um, so yeah, there's there, there are many songs about Lulu accepting punishment. Um, but the question is like, what does that mean to Lou Reed? Like this was the last album that he did. Um, I think his health was still like with them at the time, but um, certainly he was getting on in age. Um and like really the last track junior dad sort of puts everything into perspective like not just um not just the album but lou reed's entire life to a degree like the same way all within my hands did unsaid anger at the time because junior dad is like uh, it it's hard to tell what perspective the song is from but to me it seems like it's by a child whose father is like passed on or something um, I mean, by, by like an adult child, not necessarily like a child child, yeah. but, um, a child of a father who has passed on or something like that. And, um, they're looking for some kind of like forgiveness or empathy or like salvation from their father that they never got in life yeah. because of their troubled relationship. And then at the end of junior dad, like that doesn't happen. Um, instead of getting that lose saying something like, you know, it's over, turn the lights out, you know, we're gone, yeah. basically. It's just, like, such a sad and, like, brutal ending, um, lyrically, but over that, like, really beautiful string drone mm-hmm. that kind of feels like you're in heaven or purgatory or something. Um, to me, it's, like, again, it's Lou Reed working through a lot of stuff, but, like, one of there, there definitely is a layer of, like, gender stuff to it, which is not to project anything onto Lou Reed, at all he definitely explored like notions of gender and stuff throughout his work like velvet underground yeah yeah definitely um if nothing else if nothing else it was sort of i don't know if there was like a deeper meaning to it but if nothing else Mm -hmm. it was sort of like david bowie in a way totally you know he was very um at least publicly like very fluid and kind of correct and yeah, and like Kurt Cobain did that to a degree as well in a different way. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is like it's not really about identity, but like certainly that was something he was thinking through, Lou Reed. Sure. Um, sometimes in a very dark way, um, but also like famously he was um, close friends slash maybe even like a, had her as a partner, um, Candy Darling, who's like a famous trans woman and also... She was like a muse of Andy Warhol as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he, she and Lou Reed had a really like fascinating and sometimes troubled relationship. But like he sang about her very positively as well. Um, but to me, Lulu, it has that, it has this weird layer of like this nearly 70 year old man, um, you know, rambling on in his like granddad voice. <laughs> but from the perspective of like a young woman who like, wants to escape her body which there's something so like trans about that 
to me. Um, even if it's not explicit, it's it, it's a common thread, like existing in a body and like feeling like, oh, you're supposed to be okay with this body positivity and all that. But like right. something about the framework just doesn't feel right. Conceptually, it doesn't feel right. And it's so hard to articulate, but it's there. And it's this like feeling, for me, it was this like nagging feeling that I'd had, um, not really as a kid, but once I started like going through adolescence, um, I just felt a bit off. And I realized that feeling like never really went away. Um, and Lulu, I think, yeah, thinking about it and talking about it really helped like articulate it for me. It was this like big, scary monster that also was like, very like personal and internal and almost invisible. Mm -hmm. So that really led to everything coming to a head for me in like early October and be and like all these realizations, you know, entire house crashing down on me at once. October one being like, yeah, I actually, I never wanted this, you know, like I don't have to be something that I'm not. I can just choose to be a girl if I want to. And if I want to, that probably means I was all along because most cis guys don't dream of being girls at all. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Lulu, like, listening to, like, Lingua Ignota as well, a lot of her work really helped me, like, confront that fear and give it a, give it a name and, like, be like, yeah, you're not the only person who has felt this way you might feel like it's going to like eat you alive from within like right. the lyrics of some kind of monster, but actually it's okay. You can do something about it and you can take steps to address that. And um, yeah, here I am like 10, almost 11 months later, actually. And um, I feel great. I feel lighter than ever. I feel like, I feel like I've gotten a second chance in life, but also I feel very much like, the person I was as a child who was just very effortlessly like curious and free and not inhibited by anything. Um, but yeah, what, what would I be without music and Metallica? I don't know. Thank you, Metallica. Thank you, Lou Reed. <laughs> I mean, how do I follow that up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, with more rambling. Um, no, I think, that is you know very powerful and very relatable i mean even if i'm sure somebody listening is going through something similar or if not from maybe a literal the, point of view maybe, yeah. yeah maybe if it's not even literal like you're struggling with you know your identity or whatever maybe you're struggling with your orientation or maybe you're just struggling with you know, your overall mental health. I mean, that is so universal across the board that I think it's, you know, very relatable. You know, it's relatable mm. to me as somebody who is, you know, uh, a straight male, you know, because I can associate with those feelings on some level and and I can relate it to how music, you know, has affected me on a positive um, in a positive way. Hmm. I think, yeah, I definitely think that there is something 
really powerful in like looking at all this darkness, whether it feels like it's inside you or outside you and almost like embracing it in this kind of ironic way, you know? Um, if a song like Dyer's Eve or something um, is so furious and yet so powerful, um, like when you listen to it, when you listen to Metallica play it live in Seattle, or whatever, you're like not really thinking about like parental trauma. You're thinking about like the power that it gives you. So to me, yeah, it's like just give, giving a name to that darkness and embracing it is, I guess, my way of coping right. with it all, if that makes sense, rather than like pushing it away. You know, some people might find comfort in like, you know, binge watching sitcoms or whatever. <laughs> and I, I sometimes do. There, there is time and place for that. I enjoy like kids films and Disney sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I guess what defines me more is that like that, that willing to go really deep and self-examine. And um, it's not like I'm listening to St. Anger 24 hours a day or anything, but <laughs> St. Anger is one of the like most accessible albums to me that has that effect yeah on me it's still like recognizably like you know organized music played by (laughs) four people it's not like a a noise prayer or something so yeah um have you revisited lulu since our uh i think at, at any time over like the last how long it's been 11 months since you've been going through this process um, I think I've listened to it twice. I've tweeted about it as well. Um, oh wow, it is like fully not showing my tweets about it. That's weird. Um, yeah, I think I've listened to it twice. At one point, no, maybe even three times, because at one point I realized like, um, I could listen to Lulu for pleasure, which is a weird <laughs> statement to say. I would just like put it on casually like this 90 minute slab of like concrete mm-hmm. and i would even like drive around to it and like <laughs> force my friends to listen to mistress dread <laughs> with its like frantic thrash beat and uh lou going on about like wanting to bite on a colored man's dick or something <laughs> um quoting him that's not me but um yeah no, at some point lulu became a source of comfort as well weirdly yeah um i i guess there's something kind of empowering in that but like i mean yeah the world sees it as this like scary like incomprehensible album that should never have been made (laughs) but like metallica enjoyed the process um they loved playing it live every time i saw that Mm -hmm. um it's like in some ways like it's not even it is a difficult work conceptually, but it's not like one of Lou's like noisiest albums either. I think so. You know, I think it's just such um, opposites for a lot of people that, hmm. you know, it was interesting when I was preparing for our recording because, you know, the, the whole reason I hooked up with Stuart Herwood was because I was on like Lou Reed forums and Lou Reed Facebook groups and stuff. Cause I was curious what Lou Reed fans thought of the album. Hmm. And there are, there is a percentage of his audience who 
also hate that record because Metallica is on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Metallica and their like brutalist, like kind of boneheaded riffs sometimes. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not subtle on the album, but I know sometimes they are actually, you know? Yeah. They, it's pretty balanced, I think, you know, but yeah. Um, you know, but it's not necessarily like a, you mentioned, you mentioned Mr. Dread. I think mm. like, uh, you know, repeating furious thrash riff was probably not on every Lou Reed's fans bucket list. You know? No, <laughs> but what a riff it is. It's like it two notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say, I, I tweeted in August last year. So before I had come out to myself, um, my ability to my ability to listen to Lulu for pleasure has given me infinite power. <laughs> uh, and so, yes, I, I took that further and uh, now, now I'm pumping blood with estrogen <laughs> instead of testosterone and it feels good. So, yeah. I definitely could like write an entire personal narrative of transition just using like San Anger and Lulu lyrics. As you should. Yeah. Or like even like stage a, a play that conceptually is about like the breakdown and rebuilding of the body and mind or something. I mean, I was going to say at the <laughs> very least, I'm anticipating your 7,500 word article on Lulu being <laughs> the next final masterpiece of Metallica. And yeah. <laughs> I want to think, I'm going to think about it. I feel like there are people there are people who were supposed to have written that but did not mm-hmm. and so if i do that then i will be picking up the slack for them i just want to say it <laughs> brad nelson and whoever else i can't remember the name of um yeah i don't know um i have wanted to like put together an all-female saint anger cover album um, I was going to say cover band. That would be very solvent. Non- no, cover album, like compilation or something. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine Lingua Ignota doing like some kind of monster? Because I can. Be pretty amazing. I yeah. think basically you want the blacklist for St. Anger. Yeah. I So I know of at least t- three people who would do it. Me being one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that counts. Um, but yeah. Hey, sign me up. I would listen. Yeah. Maybe I'll conclude this by recommending an album that like sort of ties into this. Um, so that we've already I, I talked follow... about Megadeth. Okay. We've already talked <laughs> about Megadeth. We, we will talk about Megadeth. Oh yes. More on that. That's more on that the plans. at the end. Um, but yeah, I follow a guitarist and producer called Aki McCullough, who she's really cool. Like runs a studio. Um, that has like a fund that supports trans uh, trans musicians and stuff in new England. Um, but she, she's in like five or six bands or something. The best known one is dream. Well, which is, um, uh, kind of posts hardcore screamer band, which is really cool. But she started like a side project where she does vocals, which is called, um, it's called necro planet. And it's like this 60 minute slab of funeral doom metal, but like, heavier than most um with like i would say more atmosphere than most if that makes sense Mm. like mostly i just think a funeral doom is like being quite slow but this has this kind of like resonant 
feeling to it. It's this concept album about like an alien who uh, is witnessing like Earth as this dying planet and like shrieking out in agony over it basically. But um, it's, I don't know, it puts me into a similar headspace to St. Anger sometimes. So, uh, but slower. So I really recommend it. Necroplanet Negative Space. You heard it here. Check it out. And um, she's a St. Anger fan, so. What else do you need to it's know? Kindred, kindred spirits. St. You know? <laughs> Anger fans, there are, you know, a dozen of us, but we're all very loud about it. <laughs> and one day, that dozen will be two dozen, and then yeah. so on so forth, so. Yes. I mean, there's got to we'll be go, something yeah. to an album that still annoys people, like, 20 years later, so. It, it is a powerful thing. Yes. I think. There's something to that. There's something to that. Yes, yes. It, it, it's the album that made people stop talking about the haircuts. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true. That's, that's power right there. I guess when Rob joined, he, like, added hair, so. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Although my hair is, like, almost that length at this point. I, no, it's, actually, it's probably longer. Um, yeah. Th- this will not play well on audio. Uh, people love... Anyway visual talk on visual jokes, podcast, yeah. yeah um i'll 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 carry on with the visual jokes my hair is yeah. not that long <laughs> but you're rocking it man i appreciate it i don't have a choice so <laughs> uh, fair, fair. <laughs> my hair is just starting to go a little bit farther back yeah. each each year but um, yeah yeah but at least i have a nice round head for it so absolutely um the the joe rogan of metallica podcasts you are (laughs) spotify i'm taking offers i'm just saying send the checks in the mail yeah um well we without giving away too much um next time you're on the show uh we will be talking about a new album that we've already uh basically well, we basically already said what we're doing. We're going to be talking about Megadeth. Wow. <laughs> and um, I, 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 all I will say is this. I have heard the album. Hmm. I don't think I'm at liberty to say anything else legally. <laughs> right <now. laughs> is that actually like a, an embargo? I don't know what. Um, I've actually not been told there is. I'm just assuming that there is. I um, guess not because like metal, metal journalism doesn't really do that. I feel like like the Arch Enemy album recently had like so many pre-release reviews that I literally had no idea when it came out. I just yeah. like could not work it out. Every, every week I would check and be like, it's not out yet. But like there's another review up. <laughs> and of course when it actually came out I missed it, so Yeah. Anyway. Um, I will just say I have heard it. Okay. I have not heard it. <laughs> <laughs> so we will wait until that happens to yes. record yes. the next episode. Um Kristen. Brendan. Where can everybody find you? Oh yeah, I've changed all my handles. So now yeah. I am Kristen is she. Um, Kristen, I-S-S-H-E, uh, everywhere Excellent. on all the platforms. On the Facebook even? 
Yeah, I think so. Wait, yeah. let me check that. Facebook is my uh, sworn nemesis that I try not to use. But oh. Eventually, I do use out of necessity for the podcast. But I just want to go on record as saying, if I've not gone the record already, how much mm-hmm. I hate Facebook. Because it is the most convoluted huh. website it barely to works. use. Like, I, yeah. when I go on, like, the Metallicast page... If I'm if I'm on like uh you know my laptop, the amount of stuff I have to scroll through just to make a damn post makes me not want to post. Totally, it's a fury. Yeah, it's a horrible, horrible website. Uh, for for several reasons, but that's my biggest mm. beef is just how is it so poorly designed? I think that there should be a game show where like Mark Zuckerberg has to go on and like he's forced to do basic functions on facebook and like for every for every minute that goes by he has to donate like you know a hundred million dollars i love something. that idea because there are so many basic things that are like hidden yeah like it's like try try sorting your friends list alphabetically i would have to google i know how to do it. it i would have to google how to do it but all the results will be outdated because like they'd be from like two years ago even Facebook's own help section is out of date. I'll give you I'll give you a hint. The only way to do it, you cannot do it on a browser. You have to do it from the mobile app, but you have to do it from I think the friends tab and not the friends list. Well, that's that's an All right. So you're also getting at another thing that pisses me off about yep. Facebook is yeah. that there are different functionalities if you're on a cell phone or if you're on a desktop. Yeah. Let's do that. Like, so even something as simple as sharing a post is the options are different on my cell phone. Yes. Than on my laptop. I'm (sighs) madly in anger with you, Mark Zuckerberg for many reasons. Yes. From the small to the large, but, Anyways, follow Kristen on Facebook <laughs> and Twitter yeah. and Instagram. There'll be links in the episode description. You can follow Metallicast on all three of those at Metallicast Pod. And yes. Kristen, any other news or anything else we should be plugging or hyping or getting people excited about besides the fact that you're gonna make a your triumphant return very soon. Yeah. Talk about wow. the sick, the dying, and the dead. The sick, um, the dying, the dead. Wow. I was gonna say that. Um, who, who was it? I think it was Jordan at Assassin Pikachu. Um, who, when I came out, I think he just said, "Like, you know, you'll still be one of the world's biggest San Anger fans to me." And I'm just like, uh. I haven't I haven't done a lot of Saint Anger tweets lately. I feel like for a couple of years that was like like literally ten percent of my tweet contents were about Saint Anger. So I'll need to bring it back a bit. Like probably when, when we post this episode, like I'll I'll go all the way back in. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I have. <laughs> well I will finish plugging and then I will bid you farewell. I, I just want to yes. get this quick plug in. Besides following Metallicast on the 
Facebook, on the Twitter, on the Instagram. Uh, please, if you'd be so kind and you've not already done so, give a positive five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way in helping podcasts grow because of the algorithm and this and that and you know all all that fancy behind the scenes stuff and uh check out the links in the description too for bison my favorite one man band give him your support check out the links and uh, he provides our uh prov- i always say are we as if this podcast is anybody but me like i like it's like i like people to think there's an actual team working on this podcast um and i also like calling it my uh i, I said this once to you once to you before i always instead of want to say intro music i always want to call it my entrance music which just shows yes. how much of a wrestling nerd correct i am you know yeah it, the metallicast universe knows <laughs> so with that said chris and i always love having you on and uh i'm greatly look looking forward to your epic return especially considering the content uh, but um I, I also do want to thank you for coming on especially this time because uh just being honest and vulnerable and open and i think this was a very uh interesting episode that a lot of people will get a lot out of so thank you thank you for having me thank you for your platform and your friendship over all these years and our collective ramblings um i feel like this this has sort of like put them in context a bit which is to say that um definitely like the lockdown era was a bit a bit of a um going off the deep end for me so yes yes i'm a little bit more sane now but also a little bit more unhinged in purposeful (laughs) ways so and uh you'll be hearing more from me that's all i'll say excellent that's what we want until next time, ladies and gentlemen, mill up your ass. Yeah!